I'm sure many of us this morning are concerned, continue to be concerned about the situation in Ukraine. And we've mentioned in the past, the other Sunday there, we prayed particularly for that country. Elizabeth keeps in touch with workers of Scripture Union who are there. Others of us have contacts. We actually met somebody yesterday. We'd gone up to the, the Glow in Motherwell. By the way, just a little thing. If you're at loose end on a Saturday and, and you're looking for somewhere for a, a cheap lunch, can I commend to you? the coffee shop at the Glow. It really looks as if it's struggling a bit now. And the bookshop as well, very, very quiet. We remember the day we used to go with Greg and Colin and it was mobbed on a Saturday. It was very quiet now. now I, I, they are struggling. It's all bookshops and everything. So uh, we add there, if you're loose end during the week, anytime or on a Saturday, go up and use the coffee shop and get something from that bookstore's from the Glow. I commend it to you. Please do look at it particularly because it encourages us to pray. Anyway, we were at the goal. That was just a wee advert there. We were, we were at the goal. And a woman that we know, it's a complicated story through Elizabeth's brother, a couple that we know of. Um, her, the, we were speaking to Joy, the, the wifey, the woman. And her husband and his family come from Ukraine, from Kiev. And we were asking just how her in-laws were coping. And interesting enough, we heard the same from her as maybe you're hearing on the news, that Ukrainians themselves, although obviously they're concerned, well, first of all, they've been at war with Russia since 2014. So in one sense, that's been going on. When Elizabeth was in Kiev, she saw that wall, the wall now with 14,000 pictures of people who have died in the eastern front of Ukraine in that war against Russian-backed separatists. So they've been going on, plus people, of course, who were in Crimea who were cut off from their family and friends as well. And, and there's a number of reasons why they are keeping calm. But one of the reasons that you don't hear about so much in the media is because amongst the Ukrainian people, partly because of the growth of the evangelical church, but also the influence of the Orthodox church, there is a far greater God awareness than there certainly is in Britain today. And so national days of prayer are called and churches and cathedrals are packed full. There's no worry, I have to say, I think, you know, when you're facing the possibility of being bombed out your homes, you're not so worried about the COVID. Uh, you know, there's more immediate things to be worried about. And so people are packing into churches or standing in public squares and having prayer meetings, calling upon God to intervene. And indeed, she was sharing an illustration of how just seemingly recently, within the last few days, some tanks of the Russian separatists in the eastern part of Ukraine trying to move the front line forward and they got bogged down. And eventually they had to get a big tractor to pull the tanks out and push them back eastwards. And people were seeing that as God and his sovereignty using creation to hinder the work of the, hinder the, work of the enemy. And certainly the, Russian, the Ukrainian president is supposed to be a man of faith. And we have seen, I certainly have seen as a minister, of how over this past two years during a time of crisis for us, although as I say, we've got to get things into perspective, but nonetheless a time of crisis for us, of how that spirit of faith has calmed minds, enabled people to get perspective, to weigh things up, to be able to discern wisely how to live, neither locking oneself away nor being careless or indifferent. And what a radical difference that understanding, that knowledge, that experience of God with us makes in the challenges and situations of life. 
But unlike perhaps the Ukraine and other countries in the second and third world, in the West particularly, turning to God is the, certainly not something that people think about. During the last war, thankfully a long time ago now, the Queen's father called the nation to pray in 1940. And at various times during the war, days of prayer were called. It was interesting this time round that there was no mention of a national day of prayer, not just for us, but for our world, when COVID came out. And I think that's a sign of just how far we have moved from looking to God, that God awareness. Even if you're not a, a personal somebody of a personal faith, that God awareness that calls people to look to that which is greater, mightier in our times of need. We live in a day where, unfortunately, the vast majority of people eat, drink, and are merry because tomorrow, well, so what? And I know that many of us find that hard, especially when it's within the context of our own families. They're indifferent to anything more than just getting on with life, looking after their families, which is the right thing, and eating and drinking and trying to be happy. And such has been the case always. But as I've mentioned over these past weeks, certainly something that's become more aware to me, there are some people who are asking questions. And I would like to encourage you, if you know someone who's asking questions, to get them to look at Luke's gospel, particularly. Because, I say again, I repeat myself, but nonetheless it's an important point. It was written in order that Theophilus could be sure of the questions that he and others might have. Sure of the certainty of the faith. And to people who are asking questions, who are wondering about things, then Luke's gospel has a whole series of questions contained within it. Particularly the one that we started with in the reading today. Jesus was praying, verse 18 of chapter 9 in Luke's gospel in private. And his disciples were with him and he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah. The deepest, perhaps the most vital question that we can ever be asked is, what do you think of Jesus? But even before people get to even answering that question, family, friends, people we work beside, they may well have questions, even not necessarily questions they articulate, but in the things they say, the things they look to, the things they're seeking after, looking for advice and counsel from, show that they are questioning about life. And Luke, in his gospel, is aware of that. He was writing not to a Christian world, but he was writing to a Roman world, to a Greco-Roman world, where there were people who were indifferent to life, just getting on with it. The parable of the seed and the sower, the hard ground where the seed lands and it just blows away because they're not interested. But also to a world where there were people like Theophilus who were asking questions and who were looking for life. And indeed the New Testament is written in the context of trying to help these people who were aware that things just weren't right and were wondering if there wasn't more or that there shouldn't be some answers to some of the deep issues of life. The Gospels are written to help these people in asking their questions find their answer in Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we're living in a world, and again, I've said this as well in the past, as has Ian and Graham, we're living in a society which increasingly is going back to that kind of Roman world. 
and post-Christian world. Where it's not that there aren't people just completely don't bother, but there are people who are looking for answers. There are people who are looking for a prophet, looking for someone who will make sense of the times in which we live, who will speak into those times and give insight into the future. We've seen that over the last two years. We've seen the way in which some medical professional people have become, you know, vital for people to listen to. Our politicians, some at least, have become vital to what people listen to. And unfortunately, we've also seen how there are people who have got up with all sorts of weird and wonderful conspiracy theories, and people have listened to them. If you want to watch, is it, what's the fellow Theru that appears on television, does that, trips around America, visits... Ah, yes, there's one this coming week, a new series, where he goes and visits folks who are really, in America, bought into the whole right-wing, um, you know, kind of queuing on a philosophy and this, the conspiracy theories that this is all something that's been conjured up by, you know, big business or by money or all the rest of it, and COVID's simply a way of controlling us and everything else. Well, the sad reality is that people listen to that. And why do they listen to that? Why in America particularly is it so strong, including even within the church? It's because people are desperate for someone to speak with authority, for someone to speak into our times, for someone, as I say, to try and make sense of the way in which things are. Now, they might actually have senseless answers and silly answers or even dangerous answers, but those who have ears to hear will listen. The sad thing is that the church failed, and this is a real burden in my heart, the church failed two years ago to be prophetic and to speak into our times. Well, there was plenty of others who were willing to do that, and there were folks who were willing to listen, looking for a prophet. And then there are those who are looking to the law to provide security and structure to life, to bring order through regulations and control. Well, you don't need me to see how COVID and the response to COVID has helped in some, some ways that kind of thing. If only we follow the regulations, if only we keep the rules, if only we just do what we're told, then we will be safe. And of course, there's an element of truth to that. Although ironically, I happen to know a number of people who have been very careful and followed all the regulations. And you know what, friends? They still got the COVID. But that need to have a structure, that yearning for things to be safe, that desire for there to be order and someone to give that order. And so people look to lawgivers to do that and rely on what they say in order to ensure that the listener is safe. And then there are those who are looking basically for a miracle worker. Again, we've seen that over these past two years or more. When I had that short, um, I was going to say holiday, it wasn't a real holiday, but that short time in hospital, I spent some time asking, when people attended to me, I would try and get conversation. I'm a bit of a blade, I think you've worked that out by now. Um, and, and, and asking the medical staff, you know what really, one of the number of things came over to me, one of them was they all said that COVID really wasn't the problem with the NHS. The problems were already there, COVID's just made it worse, but that's another story. Another thing was that many of them felt the undue pressure that was being laid upon them and upon the NHS to solve the problems of the country. 
In many ways, the institution of the NHS has been the sacred cow, the golden calf that we dare not speak against. And the poor workers are being broken under the pressure of unreasonable expectations that somehow they can wave a wand and cure us of all our ills. And we look, or many people look, and then get most put out when, of course, they can't do that. And then lastly, there are people who are looking for a guru, some wise person, a life coach, who will tell you how to live life. And if you follow those rules, those regulations, that example, if you eat that kind of food, Food, if you apportion the furniture and do things in your home that fit that pattern, if you adopt that mindset, and if you go onto Instagram or Twitter or whatever your thing is, and you daily get your dose of goodies from them, then you will have a life of fullness and happiness. There are people who are looking for a prophet, who desperately desire a lawgiver, who yearn for a miracle worker, and who'd be eager to listen to a guru. And all of that today is the way the world was in the first century. There was temples to all sorts of deities. There was philosophies, the length and more of your art. The folk in Athens, remember, when Paul went like nothing better than talk about the latest issues and theories of the day. People yearning, crying out, as Jesus founded his ministry, for lives to be changed, for miracles to take place. Jesus wasn't put on the cross because he did miracles. People were up for that. And people followed him as a rabbi until John's gospel tells us that his teaching came too close to home and began to really open up what Jesus was really about, and were told that the vast majority of them turned away. And Jesus turned to Peter and John and said, are you going to do the same? Are you going to go off me? My, my day has passed. Are you when a new person has appeared? Are you fashionists come along? And are you going to go and follow after them? And thankfully, Peter said, well, why? Because you alone have the words of eternal life. And look here, and I appreciate I've spent a lot of time creating that story, but really to understand what we're reading, we need to have that big, big picture. That's in part what the Gospels, all the Gospels, what Luke's Gospel, all of the Gospel, but this wee bit that we've been reading this morning and reflecting upon is saying, yes, there are people looking for these things, but Jesus is more than a prophet. Peter in his response say, some John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come to them. Interesting enough, in the Mount of Transfiguration, who appears? Two men alongside Jesus, Moses and Elijah, the lawgiver and the prophet. And they appear. And what are they doing? Well, they're talking to, and the other gospel writers tell us, very obviously they're, they're looking to and speaking up to Jesus, Luke tells us they're speaking about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Jesus is the fulfillment of what the prophets have been speaking about. That longing to speak into our times, that voice that awakens the dead, that insight that brings sense and common sense and wisdom into our times and into our minds. All of that is to be found, Luke tells us, in 
Jesus, the apostle Paul, writes and speaks about the having the mind of Christ, Christ within us, the mind of Christ, and how vital it is. He who is wisdom incarnate, who took frail flesh and lived among us, in him there is that wisdom that no amount of reading, no amount of books, no amount of gurus or scholars can provide. He brings to us the very wisdom of the creator into our minds. And that's why often, I've certainly learned over the years, sometimes it's people who are not that able intellectually, who are not that bright, who come away with the greatest perils of wisdom about life and about living and about what it's all about. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that longing for that prophetic voice. And that's why it's so sad when the body of Christ, meant to be the spokesman for Jesus, fails to do that. He's also the fulfillment of the law. Moses is there. The, fulfill, the one who brought the law. And the New Testament particularly spends much time about this. We're not obviously going to get into that all this morning. But Paul particularly, his letter to the Galatians and to the Romans, speaks about this. Now, when the Bible talks about the law, of course, it's talking about the moral law as well as our relationship with God. And, of course, Jesus made it clear that when he came, he came to fulfill the law. Jesus is not in the business of anarchy, of just doing what we like. He, he, he's there to fulfill what God's law says, which brings sense, brings community, brings security, the things that people are looking for. But it's more than just a set of regulations. You see, my friends, and I think you can see that, hopefully, anywhere within our own society. We were listening this morning to a service for Racial Justice Sunday. Right? It wasn't Racial Justice Sunday. It strikes me that all the right regulations about racial justice and everything else what do we hear more and more about in the, in the media of people who have been racially abused? Regulations who have been brought in to do with sexual things. And what do we hear more? Now, it's not that these things didn't go on in the past. I'm not saying that. But what do we hear more and more that more and more of it is going on? You see, my friends, the law in the New Testament tell us it's a garden. It's meant to guard us. It's meant to guide us. But actually, it cannot and will not transform us. Ultimately, the law simply makes us aware of how sinful, how fallen, how fractured we are. As soon as someone says, thou shalt not, the wee voice, and it says, aye, you're likely. I will. all that a secular society has in order to deal with the breakdown of society, the breakdown of people's willingness to follow the moral law and to do what they should do is not, or is only, yet more laws. Which ultimately does the very thing that it's not meant to do. It ultimately kills, it destroys trust and community and security satisfaction. The law ultimately leads to death. Only grace can transform a life. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He fulfilled it in his life and he offers us not a big long list of regulations but a changed heart and a renewed mind so that we love our neighbor as ourselves. And he's more than a miracle worker. The story in the, this part of the gospel where 
Jesus comes down. And you can read that and think he's a wee bit exasperated. He obviously was feeling a bit tired after his night before because he speaks to the folks, you unbelieving, verse 41, and perverse generation. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Actually, his frustration is at his disciples. The man says, I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. There they were. You see, my friends, however wonderful someone might be, and people go to faith healers and a whole host of other things in order to try and see dramatic changes in life. Ultimately, however wonderful, vertical as these people might be, however wise, however gracious, everything else, before the ultimate powers that are the source behind every ailment, travail, and trouble in the world, before that... We're powerless. Only Jesus can confront the powers of the devil and of darkness. Only Jesus can bring the dead alive. Only Jesus can command the demon to go, and he goes. All authority in heaven and earth, Jesus said at the end of his ministry before he ascended to the Father, is given to him. And only Jesus can fill a life with that peace and grace of God that we all, whether we know it or not, need. And lastly, and I'm conscious we're just going through this quickly, I'm also conscious that intellectually in every way, it's on the edge of what I'm able to do, but we finish by looking at more than a guru. Listen to the teachings of Jesus. Let's be honest. If you were trying to get folk in your team, you wouldn't be saying this. Whoever wants to be my my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. And then he takes up a child who would have been regarded a little child as, as, as really you know, a, a insignificant. He takes a little child and stands beside them and says, whoever welcomes this little child of my name welcomes me and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me for it's the one who is least among you all who is the greatest and then in the wee bit we didn't read in verse 57 as they were walking along the road a man said to him I will follow you wherever you go and Jesus replied foxes have dens and birds have nests but the son of man has no place to lay his head he said to another man follow me but he replied Lord first let me go and bury my father and Jesus said to him let the dead bury their own dead but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God and still another said I will follow you Lord but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family and Jesus replied no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God now let's be honest don't think he's going to get many thumbs up on Twitter likes saying things like this because we've got to understand Jesus isn't saying that we shouldn't bury our parents or say goodbye to our family. But he is saying, what determines your life? What is the core of your being? What is the very essence of your soul? Get that right. And everything else, including looking after your family and doing all the things you're meant to do, everything else will follow. Seek first my kingdom. And 
how sad it is that during this past two years there are some professing believers who instead of seeking the kingdom have sought their own safety at the cost of their own faith and perhaps even their salvation. Jesus gets the very nut and core of the matter. I don't think that's a guru who would have many supporters perhaps in our contemporary world. But you see, Jesus speaks the very words of life. Who is this Jesus? What do people say that I am? And we live in a society where there are those who are asking questions and looking and longing. You see, that's built into us from the very fall. Deep down in the human psyche, we all want to be back in the Garden of Eden where we could run about in the buff and we're innocent. And you know, you see that with little children, don't you? We long for that. We yearn for that. And we'll look to anyone to try and provide that, whether it be Vladimir Putin, some medical or politician leader. Only Jesus is the fulfillment and the one who can meet those longings. For he's more than a prophet. He fulfills the law and to those who look to him he gives us grace to enable us to live as we should. He transforms situation and no pills or potions or faith healer can ever do. Ultimately he makes all things new. And his words are the words of eternal life. Jesus asks us, asks us all. Not just what other people say about me. But who do you say I am? And our life here and hereafter is determined by the answer we give. Jesus, name above all names, beautiful saviour glorious lord let's stand as we sing this worship song together janice is going to play through play for us we'll sing it through with the piano the first time and then the second time let's just sing it unaccompanied we stand amazed in the presence of jesus the nazarene We cannot fully understand. I certainly know that I'm in the age of my ability trying to navigate through this. And yet, Lord, we thank you for the truths we have seen and heard from you. That you are the fulfillment of all the longings of people's hearts because ultimately you are the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through you and that you journeyed to Jerusalem as Moses and Elijah recognized you were journeying to Jerusalem to fulfill what had been said about you. How we long for change. How we yearn for things to be different in our own lives, in the life of others that we know and within our society and our world. And yet how we recognize that however best our efforts might be, they're only partial compared to what you, the Son of God, can do. 
So we offer you our worship. We ask for the Spirit to continue to give us the mind of Christ and transform our way of thinking and seeing things. That we might live in the light of the liberty of the gospel, not carelessly, but with responsibility and with security. And that we may gladly acknowledge that all power and authority alone has been given to you, Lord Jesus. And we hear your call to go and therefore make disciples. And so, Lord, I commend, as the preacher, we commend ourselves to you, your word to us. Take it. We thank you for that promise that it will not return to you void, but will accomplish the purpose you have ordained, Father. So whether it be here or whether it be those who are listening to that in another time or another place, Lord Jesus, fulfill that promise and may your word to us this day do what you intend it to do. All for the praise and the glory of your name. Amen. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall, bring forth the royal diadem, and crown him Lord of all. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Let's say the words of the grace together. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all.